Hi everybody and welcome to this, the latest podcast from ARC360. Hi, I'm Mark and I'm your host for the ARC360 podcast. Uh, Great to have you join us. This is part of our webinar series from the 10th of June 2020. Um, We've got a great lineup today. We've got Dean Lander, Head of Repair Sector Services from Thatcham Research. Paul Llewellyn, Head of Motor Claims at GS. Louise Willacock, our Managing Director of Fix Auto Mid-Devon. Lots and lots of information and data coming your way. Um, So enjoy this. And of course, a huge thank you, as always, to our corporate partners, ASIS, BMS, CAPS, EMACS, Integral, Enterprise, Nationwide, S&G Response, and of course, our partners, the Green Parts Specialists in DASA and the Innovation Group. As I say, enjoy the podcast and catch up with you all soon. We'll get ourselves started. There's still people coming in the room, so that's great. Um, but what I want to say is a huge thank you, first and foremost, uh, to our partners uh, and our corporate partners. They're the guys who help uh, facilitate and, uh, and help this happen. So we've got uh, ASIS, BMS, CAPS, EMAX, Integral Enterprise, Nationwide, and S&G Response as corporate partners and our partners, the Green Part Specialists, IDASA, and the Innovation Group. So we have a busy schedule uh, today, to say the least. Uh, plenty going on. And what I want to do first and foremost is just normal practice of reading our disclaimer. So it's on the screen for those who can see it, but the views and opinions expressed during the following webinar are those of the individual contributors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of contributors, employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. Please respect any all contributions and we encourage you to join the conversation via the interactive functions available. So please do that and that would be a great thing. We love to hear from people and we love to see the interaction. So today's panelists, uh, we've got uh, Dean Lender, Head of Repair Sector Services at Thatcham Research. We've got Paul Llewellyn, uh, Head of Motor Claims at Aegeus. And we've got Louise Woolacott, Managing Director of Fix Auto Mid-Devon. So welcome, welcome, everybody. And uh, in the usual fashion, what we'll do is just have a little skim round before we go too far into the session. Um, if I can just ask you to introduce yourselves, a uh, little bit about yourself, the business, and kind of where you find things currently uh, within the industry. So I'll come to you first, Louise, if I may. Hello. Um, Yes, I'm Louise Woolacott and I'm very pleased that you've asked me to give my perspective today as the Managing Director of Fix Auto Mid-Devon. We have a 15,000 square foot body shop in Devon working for eight different insurance companies. We're very, very fortunate and we have a great management team and also the advantage of being a Fix Auto franchisee. 2020 was going to be a great year for us because we celebrate 50 years in business. Um, And one of our plans originally was to bury a time capsule to open at our centenary celebrations. Um, But we realized we need to be very careful that we don't inadvertently bury the COVID-19 virus um, to re-release it in 2070. Um, All joking aside, um, I have for many years considered my role to be that of a juggler, um, balancing lots of balls in the air at any time and hoping not to drop an expensive one. And it's now a very sobering thought that one of those balls is COVID-19 virus 
And if I drop that one, it could be someone's life at risk. So whilst I'm not normally risk averse, um, I do take this new threat very seriously indeed. Great stuff. Thank you very much, Louise. And congratulations on the on the anniversary, by the way. Thank you. Uh, Dean, over to you, if I may. Yeah, hi. Um, good afternoon, everybody. So I'm Dean Lander, Head of Repair Sector Services at Thatch and Research. Um, my area within Thatch and Research is, is, is looking after the repair sector from a point of view of ensuring that our products, services and support are all in place. Um, particularly um, largest part of my um, area of responsibility would be the academy, so running the training centre, um, delivering apprenticeships for the market, which is somewhere where we were expecting a year of significant uh, growth, um, obviously not expecting to have the academy doors shut at the end of March and uh, not be able to welcome in any delegates. So we've been we've we've been in a we've been in a difficult position from a from a training perspective. The rest of our operations have remained open, successfully supporting the repair sector, and we're now. Um, full team, full, full steam ahead, laser focused on um, opening academy doors in the next few weeks, but only doing so in in the safest possible way. Great stuff. Thank you very much, Dean. And Paul, over to yourself. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Um, thanks for inviting me along, Mark. Um, just a little bit about me. I've been in the motor insurance industry in claims for near enough 30 years, rather worryingly when I worked that out earlier. Um, started my career at Guardian Royal Exchange in Birmingham back in the day, moved to, uh, was there four years, then moved to Ecclesiastical for two years and ever since that time I've been uh, at GS in its many guises, so uh, motor claims through and through. Um, I think the, um, like most people for the last kind of two to three months being trying to get to a place where we take an operation of lots and lots of people working in two, two offices to working from home and, and we managed to achieve that in a five-week period where 99% of our people are working from home with a few still working in the office and the stuff that was done to get us there was incredibly amazing um, so that's what that's been my last two or three months but really starting to see my, my time hasn't um, faltered in terms of work to be done spending a lot of time now talking about the future talking about what we're going to do through 21 through to 2023 and uh, that's really pleasing to see and of course Really delighted that we're able to see that people are back out on the road now. Um, 65 to 70 percent of normal volumes um, is probably about where we see it, and I'm pleased to see that our networker started to see that work come into their into their um, businesses. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, uh, all three of you. Um, great introductions. Now, what we'll do is, as per usual, we've got lots to get through. Uh, again, in fact, it keeps building week on week, but. Um, We've got a little insight into CAP's information. We've got the integral heat map. Um, we've got a little bit of, uh, from the trend tracker survey, um, the third one in the series, which uh, was uh, released today. And then we've obviously got our usual kind of conversation. So if we just uh, hop back across to the screen share and uh, we'll just take a little look at the claims analysis report from uh, CAP's. So again, supplied to us from, uh, from Kevin. Uh, if anyone wants to contact Kevin, be added to the distribution list. So the uh, distribution goes out on Mondays. Uh, I'm sure he'll happily facilitate that for you. Um, 
So unique claims, claim that is initiated and seen for the first time as a single count, supply claims, transmissions, unique claim plus any additional transmission. So effectively, it gives us a really good insight in terms of you know, what's starting to be in process out there, an indication of the body shops and the industry springing back to life, if you like. Uh, and what we see, so unique claims uh, up to last Friday, so the week up to last Friday, uh, up 14%. And supply train, chain transmissions uh, up 12%. So we're starting to see, if you like, it's a repeat from a couple of weeks ago where we had that big uplift uh, and then potentially it kind of settled. Will we see the same again uh, at the tail end of this week? All to be revealed, but that kind of seems to be a little bit of a pattern potentially emerging. Um, regions showing the increased volume claim activity uh, from previous week, so southeast. Um, up by 2.1%. Northwest, again, another good increase. Greater London uh, springing back to life and the West Midlands. Here's the 14-day analysis. So again, we've got weekend in 29th of May compared to uh, weekending last week, uh, 5th of June. Just gives an indicator of how things are moving. Uh, and again, based in regions. And then we've got highest to lowest points. So again, we're seeing a Good increase, biggest margin of improvement in the northwest, and then regions recording the highest volumes at the moment: uh, northwest, southeast, and Scotland. Then we've got the heat mapping from Integral. So Ollie Chambers again. I'm sure Ollie will be happy to uh, talk anyone through these in more depth or more detail. There is the heat map of the UK, darker spots, obviously where, if you like, most activity is taking place but it's certainly the country as a whole uh, is coming back in terms of claims activity out there. So 14% increase in claims from the previous week, 30% increase in claims from April to May, 11% uh, of all the claims appear in the top 10 hotspots, which is three regions, and the new growth areas, Guildford, Huddersfield, Staffordshire and Norwich. Postcodes, so the top six volumes, RM3, BT12, RH10, DE24, PA3 and EH12. And then these are the new kind of postal area hotspots, PA3, ST1, EH6, GU11, HD2, NR6. So there's lots of information to hand. So it's, uh, it's all indicating the, the industry, if you like, is moving in the right direction. Um, just a point on the CAPS information. So a 14% increase. Um, whilst it was the same as three weeks ago, it's, uh, the volume increase is much larger because it's obviously based on a, on a bigger number anyway. So things are exponentially growing week on week. And it certainly seems to be that way at the moment. The Trend Tracker survey, which, uh, as I say, was published this morning. So everyone, hopefully, has seen a copy of that. If not, Mark Ball, German at Trend Tracker. Uh, you can download the report free of charge. It's the third in the series. Um, so in partnership with the MBRA and ourselves. Um, 144 responses um, compared to April 224 and May 178, but very similar business profiles. So we've got some real good comparative data to base things on. And just some real kind of, you know, top line insights, really. Um, there's so much information in there, so many comments. Uh, the three panellists have had sight of the reports and uh, I'm sure they'll uh, we'll drill down into a few more details shortly. But 
as of 1st of June, is your business fully open? Again, we're at around 90%, 97%, sorry, of businesses now open in one way, shape or form. Groups are managing their site reopenings uh, accordingly. So not all their sites are reopened, but they're managing that. So therefore, business is back in one way, shape or form. What percentage of projected annual turnover do you forecast your business has lost uh, to date? And again, what we've seen there is a bit of a, more of a shift uh, from the lower end to the mid range. Um, so again, a little bit of a concern there. The longer things go on, perhaps, uh, you know, the more obviously concerned people are, are getting uh, and the numbers are starting to be reflected there. Um, and again, just a worthy of note there, 94 percent uh, of body shops surveyed had taken advantage of the furlough scheme. 85 percent um, or just under 85 percent had also taken advantage of government led business support packages. Now, this is one that uh, is, is kind of really interesting or certainly uh, is, is one that uh, has opened lots of eyes. Uh, what do you believe is a reasonably justifiable standard charge to apply on a customer estimate invoice for temporary COVID-19 charges per repair? We don't need to really drill down into the commercials as such, but basically the responses ranged from zero to £400. Um, the mean average figure was £75.50. And again, just to kind of state, reiterate that, uh, you know, in no way, shape or form is that figure being recommended uh, as the correct sum for either body shops or insurers to accept. But it's uh, just simply presenting what information came through to us. And then just the one final slide uh, from uh, from the report. Uh, Ten weeks in and as lockdown eases, how confident are you now that your business can withstand the financial impact of the pandemic? Uh, we're looking at 84 percent retain uh, a good level of confidence or a level of confidence and 16 percent uh, are clearly concerned with what's going on out there at the moment so real kind of you know top line insight as i say full report available from trend tracker Whew. well there we go we'll try not to uh, have too many uh, more powerpoint slides at it but uh, we got through it so um if i may i'll come to i'll come to you first paul um all that information kind of just been thrown out there at you. Um, I know you've had uh, sight of the report, but, uh, you know, what are your thoughts really kind of at the moment in terms of, you know, where you are as a business, where and where the industry is? Yeah. The last slide about people's confidence of getting through this. One of, one of the biggest problems or, or challenges we had is how could we make sure that we had a good network still with us at the end of all this. Um, and through that process, we've been, constantly talking um, to our network to understand what's going on, how are they doing, how can we support. Um, I'm, I'm obviously encouraged to see claims volumes go up, uh, which is really obviously key to the business, uh, key to the businesses that we work with. And, and obviously I'm really pleased to see that going on. Um, I think we're returning to some sort of normal. Uh, I think the, um, the expectation of what driving patterns might be going forward is really difficult to predict, but um, there's lots of discussion about lots less traffic on the roads. Um, actually, uh, internally, some work was done around looking at the type of industries we've got across the UK, and it's very easy for an office-based person to say, well, I'm not going to be travelling much to work any longer. But actually, what you see is that lots of, our, um, lots of the people that we insure across the UK are in industries that can't work from home. So actually, I don't think necessarily, personal opinion, I don't think the fall in traffic is going to be as dramatic as it was prescribed at the outset. I think we all saw when it first kicked in, very very little on the roads. That's definitely not what I'm seeing now and definitely not what I think will happen going forward. So I think there are 
promising signs getting back to some sort of normality towards the end of this year, but can't say we're going to get to back to, to 100%. Uh, the COVID charge is an interesting one, uh, and, and I suspect we'll, we will get more into that um, because it's really for me about understanding what actually is that's required to be done and putting a cost to it. Uh, as an insurer, we're just not entirely sure what that looks like yet, and it's not probably presented to us in a way that tells us what that looks like. Yep, yeah, okay, yep, yeah, again, we will, yeah, we'll drill down on that shortly. Dean, uh, your thoughts in terms of. The, you know the information we've just seen just shared and, and in terms of obviously what what Thatcham's experience we're seeing in the industry at the moment Dean you are on mute I think there you go is that better sorry about That's that better. we can hear you um, yeah I don't think there's anything unexpected in that kind of data we're expecting to see an increase and I think our own data is showing uh, very similar levels of recovery week on week. I think over the last three weeks, we've kind of seen a 14 to 80%, 18% increase week on week in new um, methods, request data, et cetera, through eScribe. Um, what that looks like going forward, I mean, uh, nobody's got the crystal ball. There are reports um the reports that I read today about potentially having a million more cars on the road during rush hour than pre-COVID times because of the limitations there will be on public transport. Um, if that turns out to be true, then the likelihood of small, light, cosmetic type um, accident damage is likely to is likely to increase. Um, and as we know, some of those some of those levels of damage don't reach insurance claims, so it's potentially a retail opportunity if that comes about. But I'm really, you know, like everybody else, I haven't got crystal ball. We haven't got a historic moment in time to go back to and look at data and say, based on that, that's what the future data is going to look like. Yep, absolutely. Louise, I'll, I'll come to you on your thoughts. And again, you know, something that's been expressed in, in recent weeks uh, in terms of kind of a milestone for the industry was obviously the return of schools. That's potentially changed in the last few days. Um, again, does that come into your thinking and, and general thoughts around, you know, what we've the, the numbers we've just looked at there? Definitely, Mark. And it will, um, without doubt, be a key indicator when the majority of children are back at school. Um, locally, we've actually found that a lot of parents have still decided not to send their children back. And this whole question of only certain year groups going back doesn't really help them if you've got two or three kiddies in your, in your family. Um, because if one goes back, it doesn't help the fact you've still got two others there. Um, I think as regards the data you've just shown us, our, ours would mirror that. Um, we did have a little blip about 10 days ago when unfortunately a local body shop um, went into receivership and we had to pick up some of their work, which was very unfortunate um, and it gave us a momentary blip. But we took the stance that we believe we still need to be very cautious about this recovery. We need to ensure we are maximising um, furlough arrangements while they're there. Um, we don't want to over anticipate the speed of this recovery um, and certainly a second wave would be disastrous and to be honest here in Devon we haven't even really had a first wave yet 
Um, and certainly when the weather was so good a couple of weeks ago, you know, the pictures of people on the beach and <laughs> there was no social distancing and there wasn't weather at the, uh, at the rallies over this last weekend. And it, it is concerning. Um, we're aware that we need to keep ourselves in a very agile position so that if we need to jump and bring more staff back quickly, we can. But we're trying to reassure the staff that are still on furlough that it doesn't mean they've been forgotten. Um, we're just being cautious um, and we feel that's the best way. And somebody gave me a very funny quote the other day um, from Warren Buffett which is uh, you only find out who's swimming naked when the tide goes out. Um, and I think the tide is still receding and I don't think it's going to be a very pretty sight, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Paul, just on the, on the note of kind of a, you know, a second wave potential, is it something that you within kind of your environment, within your insurance world, you know, are very much looking at at the moment? Is it a big concern for yourselves? I think it's a big concern for everybody, isn't it, really? I mean, we're doing, as a business, we're doing what we can and we're abiding by government guidelines individually, making sure we don't open offices and things like that. Um, I, think we're, I think we're in a very similar position uh, to what Louise described there, is we just don't know. Um, from a personal opinion, I think the government are making some odd decisions um, around this and, and maybe going a bit too back, back to things too quick and people are not listening which does concern me, but I, you know, not being a scientist, I, I, couldn't really, I couldn't really say. I think all we can do as an insurer is continue to keep an eye on what's going on, um, continue to look after the customers that, 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 are, uh, that are having claims at the moment because people still are, as we've, dis as, as we've discussed. But yeah, it's uh, obviously got a mind's eye on what might happen, but a bit like uh, you said earlier, um, you know, we're all finding our feet a little bit here, so who knows? Yeah, okay, great stuff. Now, let's... Um Let's kind of tackle this 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 COVID uh, charge, if you like, that uh, that stemmed from the report, and, and we kind of briefly touched upon it earlier. Um, who wants to take the lead with this one, Dean? What's your what's your thoughts? Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's it's a difficult one because um, I'm certainly not I'm certainly not qualified to start getting into uh, involved in how much you should charge to clean a car. Um, Especially as you know, one point, one side of my brain says, "Well, you're cleaning the car anyway as a repairer before you give it back to the customer." That's part of the work, but clearly, there's some additional um, aspects and attributes that have to be taken care of here. Um, but cleaning the car is a process, the same as any other process in repair. So, if you can define the process to find the materials that need to be used, it shouldn't be too difficult for the industry to come up with a, some form of commonality. Each insurer, um, each insurer will choose how much they're willing to pay from a labor rate point of view, but every, you know, there should be a common process to follow for cleaning a car. And I, I think both sides of the industry have an opportunity to come together and kind of really, really get over this one very very quickly because it does sound like a very simple problem to overcome um but it does take some open and an honest dialogue and avoiding anything that might be seen as um 
as inappropriate in the way of trying to negotiate a price point for the entire for the entire industry because you can't do that yeah yeah and and paul you kind of alluded to the fact that you know you almost want kind of evidence if you like to, to support any kind of you know charge that comes your way is that is that right pretty much so yeah um obviously at the outset i think there was an initial panic um around well what should we be doing and we agreed we agreed to a fee but but it's not necessarily been broken down and understood as to what's actually required and, and not what might be required in the future so as an insurer you kind of we, i mean for, i can only speak personally from my network's perspective on the whole we've not had any major issues um Louise does do work for us. She might have a different view on that, but we've not had any major issues around that. We focused on talking to our repairers and finding out what we can do for them to help. And I do wonder whether a standardisation is always the right way to go anyway. Um, I think we've got to be a little bit careful because the way our network works, they're all very different about what they charge and how they charge and how they do their job. And I do wonder whether the standardisation is actually the right way. I'd, I'd I'd kind of look at this as a we will keep in touch with our network and we will talk to them about what the challenges and the problems are and we will try and resolve it with the network. Um, maybe standardisation isn't the way. Just a, just a thought. Yeah. Fair comment. And, and Louise, your thoughts around this, because we, we, we sort of mentioned it very briefly um, earlier today when we just caught up, but you know, it, it's, it's about the cleaning process or, or the sanitisation process. It's also about the time involved and, and the, you know, kind of almost the, the hidden uh, elements to this, if you like. I think I was probably disappointed initially in the sort of knee-jerk reaction that we had um, from both insurers and repairers, if I'm honest. Um, clearly, there is a need to have um, an agreed process, and I support what Dean said around that. It shouldn't be very hard, should it? Um, we talked this morning about enterprise have adopted a clean pledge, um, but basically they're just wiping down surfaces with a disinfectant. Of course, when you dig into it really deeply and, and you know that it's your staff that are having to carry out these processes and we have a duty to protect them as well, um, you, you do need to dig deeper and certainly you know, wiping a car off with antibacterial wipes when COVID-19 is a virus is probably not going to do one jot. And the difficulty we've had is when we've looked at different items of equipment that will do the job for you, um, nobody can be certain that they are actually effective against COVID-19. So we're all on a, a steep leaning learning curve here. Um, but we do need, I, I genuinely believe there is a need for repairers to get together and form a, a you know, coordinated approach to this and then go to their various work providers and say, genuinely, this is the cost, the additional cost that we're now facing. Are you prepared to help us meet some of this? Um, and at the end of the day, the, the nonsense that we've got at the moment where some will allow us to charge £10 and some will allow us to charge £150 is a nonsense because we have to adopt the same process whatever car we're repairing for whatever work provider because we've got to protect our staff. Um, so we need to very quickly get this nailed, guys, and come to a, 
you know, a, a, an agreed process uh, with a cost attached to it so that we can go back to our work providers with that. Okay. Fantastic. Great, great input all round on that one. Um, let's, let's move the conversation on. You, you've mentioned uh, learning, if you like, and I think all three of us have referenced that already. We're learning as we go, bit by bit. Um, what are you continuing to learn from your own operations, your supply chain partners, the wider industry as we go? I suppose, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly, if you like. Um, Louise, I'll come back to you, if I may. Well, the positive learnings have been, for me, that I have a superb team. Um, and it's taken this pandemic to really make me step out of the business. I'm working from home. Um, and it's made me realise just what a superb team I have down there. Um, our core values have helped us enormously. Um, our core values of passion, integrity and respect. And I think a lot of body shops would endorse that. Um, and they've helped us. We refer to our core values all the time when, particularly when we're trying to make difficult decisions. Um, and it helps us enormously to do that. So that's been very reassuring for me. And I've realized that at my ripe old age, um, I can probably accelerate my retirement now as well um, because the team are taking over and coping very very competently which is superb. The negative learnings, um, well there was the whole fiasco around the parts supply chain which just literally crumbled overnight, um, was incredibly disappointing. Um, we've got some suppliers that were just abysmal um, just locked up shop overnight, never came back for weeks and weeks, never contacted us. Um, so we've learned a lot from that. And there are several, what we believed before were key supply partners that we will never go back and do business with again. Um, on the positive side, some were excellent and we formed new relationships now with other um, parts suppliers, some of whom are in Bristol, um, so we're going further afield. Um, they've been absolutely brilliant and stepped up enormously to help us. Um, and I suppose it's just shown that, you know, as an industry, we need to communicate better with all our supply chain, whether that be an insurer to their um, repairers or us to you know our supply chain um, we need to get our relationships better so that that wouldn't happen again hey everybody i hope you're enjoying proceeding so far some really great uh, conversation taking place um, and some as i say some fascinating data insights coming through and continuing to show the upward trajectory of the industry Huge thank you and once again to our corporate partners, ASIS, BMS, CAPS, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise, Nationwide, S&G Response, and our partners, the Green Part Specialists, Indasa, and the Innovation Group. Enjoy the second half of the podcast. Great stuff, Paul. I'll pose the same question to yourself, really, the, yeah. the learnings from, from your side. Um, for, for internally, I, I mean, our team have been incredible, both from uh, my leadership team, but also down to the individual uh, people that do the real hard work at, at the coalface, adapting to this change over a very, very short period and, and still delivering what we expect them to deliver has been something I will be forever proud of. Um, 
and it's in times like this when people really stand up and be counted and they have uh, and, and I've been very impressed I think uh, communication I think things like zoom things like doing things um, a brief conversation with uh, Dean earlier around how much more uh, he's getting out of uh, engagement from the members of faction via via voice uh, or via video as opposed to attendance I think we should all learn from that because Maybe we can't all afford a day to go and do something, but we can afford an hour here and there. And I think that's but, but, but that, that's a testament to that. I, th I think for me, uh, what, I've, what I've learned is um, over the years, we've worked very hard on building a network that, uh, that will work with us. And they've, they've done us absolutely proud for a period of time where it could have been absolute turmoil. Um, and we, we, we made the decision very early on that we weren't going to mandate any opening, any closing. We were going to leave that to the decision of the, of the, of the particular business to decide whether or not it was appropriate for them financially and for the safety of their staff to, um, to open or close. Um, so we didn't mandate anything and we had a mix of both and, and both of those answers were the right answer because they did what they thought was right for their business. What I found you that period though is even those repairers that were kind of saying to us they were shut Every time that they were, they were open for instructions, new instructions, and every time they got a key worker, they were they were beavering away at doing that stuff without us even knowing. And they were, and the amount of stories I've had of, of, of key workers who've told us what a fantastic job the the uh, the, the solution center network has done for us has been has been incredible. So I've, I've learned that you have to look at ways of running your business differently. I've learned that people adapt and adapt very quickly, and I've learned that investment in the network pays you back uh, in spades. Um, when you get when push really comes to shove, uh, and I'm incredibly proud of all of that. Oh, that's great to hear. Real, real positive stuff there. Thanks for that, Paul. And and Dean, you, you've obviously moved quickly. Um, you know, you're doing your own kind of technical webinars and pieces now. And Paul's already referred to kind of the audience you're now exposed to or have been opened up to. Yeah, I think um, from 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 a Thatcher re research point of view, we've um, we've got 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 quite a divergent business. So. We've got certain operations that you know are physical and and require people to be in there to work, um, you know, in the repair technology centre to do research on on vehicles to develop repair processes. You need to be able to take the car apart. You need people there to be able to do that. Um, our training business um, was 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 brought to an abrupt end for the vast majority of it. Um, in March, um, we have um, one of the things to highlight really is the massive success we've had with keeping apprentices on program during that time. Um, 90, I think that the last count for the end of May, 92% of our total apprentices had still completed learning in May, while we estimated about 35% of those apprentices were uh, furloughed and, and another another 30% plus were on very limited um, hours of work. Um, so I think we've done a, I think we've learned a lot there and a lot of that we've learned there, we need to sustain and keep up. We've managed to keep in touch with those apprentices. We've put more and more of the learning opportunities onto our digital academy platform. And we've really been successful in um, developing virtual classrooms and I think that's something for the sake of our customer base we should try to retain some of and try to reduce the amount of time we take apprentices out of their out of their businesses and um, for everything else I guess a significant proportion of 
of, of, of Thatcher and do work and were able to work remotely very, very quickly. Um, so we were quite fortunate in the fact that we were kind of testing out our business continuity plan um, in preparation for a, a government announcement on the day the government announcement came out. <laughs> so we kind of, you're at home, you're all logged in, you can stay there. And, and we've done, we, you know, we've been, I think we've been really, really successful. And I think the one thing that comes out of this is what a great team of people we got working at Thatcham and what a great team of people we engage with across all the industry, insurers, repairers, supply chain. Um, I think the amount of support everybody shows for everybody else um, has been absolutely fantastic. And I want, hopefully, we don't all, I said earlier, I hope we don't all go running for the bridge to go back to comfort zone when all of this is done. Let's burn some of those bridges. Let's learn the positives that have come out of this and let's keep those. Um, and let, and, and let's, let's see what we can do better in the future when everything's, when everything's back to whatever that new normal looks like. That's great. Great message, Jim. Great message. Um, Louise, I'll come across to you. So kind of right now, uh, within your own business, within the industry, you know, what, what are kind of the key challenges that you're facing? We, we've referenced um, several times over the past few weeks, kind of, you know, timelines or critical milestones within the business. None of us have got a crystal ball to see where this is heading. We've already referenced the schools potentially, you know, not reopening or being left to their own devices to decide. Where are you kind of, you know, where are your sites set at the moment? I guess our key challenges for the next two weeks are how do we get more technicians back to work whilst still ensuring they maintain the social distancing? Um, and that is proving quite difficult. Um, we've got a reasonable amount of whip waiting to come in. Um, and we're always fearful that if insurers see that mounting and think we're not reacting quickly enough to it, um, will they send that work somewhere else instead? Um, so we're constantly trying to balance the needs, but keep work in reserve as well, just in case we have another downturn. Um, how do we bring technicians back? Um, and work effectively when the current business model that we're all working to requires us to have technicians at 120% efficiency. We can't work to that model anymore. So our next challenge is what do we want the new model to look like and how do we persuade people to move to that model with us? Um, and also, Preventing complacency in the workplace is going to be a very important one because I think the staff get comfortable with only a few of them in there. Do they start to then get a bit lazy and forget to wash their hands regularly? I don't know. That's, that's one of my fears that we've got to keep, keep banging that drum um, and make sure that they are maintaining social distancing and keeping that virus at bay. Um, other key learnings, how do we encourage meaningful dialogue? Um, it, I don't believe it is the insurer's duty to rescue body shops from this crisis. Um, it's our duty to save ourselves um, and hopefully form some good relationships on the way. Um, 
we're masters of our own businesses. We're, we're independent um, and it's up to us to set out our stall for what we believe to be the new future, um, whatever that might be. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of current challenges, but the very immediate one is I've got three more technicians coming back in next week. I've got to integrate them with the six that have already been there make sure that they observe all those rules and keep us trading safely. I don't, Mark, I don't know if I could come in there actually, sorry to interrupt. Um, just just pick, picking up and that, probably a comment di director Louise because she does do work for us. I think it's really important, uh, I'll talk for a GS, that we maintain that, that patience to get people to that point that Louise is talking about. So the first point she made around that balance of work. We're, we're very aware that 100% of our, our, our network is now open, but we're very aware that they're not all open fully, fully, and, and the repairers are, are balancing uh, furloughing staff and keeping that work coming through. And but also the fact that physical, even if you wanted everybody to come back to work, the physical ability to get people working in the same workshop at the same time is going to be really hard. We as insurers have a, have a duty to our customers, but we also have a duty to the safety of our own staff and indeed um, the repairer's staff. So we need to make sure that we do not lose patience. We don't look at that and look at works in progress. It, obviously it has to be uh, under control and there's a difference between under control and being out of control. If it's under control, the discussions just need to be um, that we're gonna, we're, we're gonna help you through this and we're gonna help you get out the other end of this the best we can. Um, Louise has made the point there that she's not relying on an insurer to help um, save the business, but but we can do everything we possibly can within uh, within our own remit to help, and I think that's really key. One of the things that was mentioned in the in the report that you sent to us yesterday, Mark, was the lots of postcodes changing and not changing back. That's not where yep. we are. Now, there is, as I say, this, this is about constant dialogue. It's about understanding what position each repairer is in and helping deal, deal with each repairer. And, and we will not tar people with the same brush and we will understand the individual circumstances, especially when you put some of those heat maps up and some repairers have been a better place than others. We have to remain patient and balance the customer requirement. Because, But by and large, our customers have been brilliant through this process. I have to say, um, they've understood, they can see it, they can feel it, they've understood uh, and they continue to understand. And, and, and that's, our, that's our promise to you, Louise, and anybody else from our network. Is just we will work with you to make this happen, make this work. Um, so please, please keep talking to us. Great stuff. Thanks for that, Paul. And in terms of claims coming through, are you kind of managing, stroke triaging them differently in any way, shape, or form? Um, you know, you're trying to keep drivables out there for as long as possible so that you can make this balance between work that's coming in. Um, you know, how's that? How's that from an op operational point of view? Is that for me or Louise? Yeah, sorry, for, for yourself, Paul, yeah. Yeah, we're not, we're not triaging. I, I, again, our network is, has basically kept their doors open in terms of instructions. And what we, what we agreed at the outset was we would leave the, the, the net, the, 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 each repairer to have conversations with the customer and make those decisions. Absolutely, at the very beginning, it was a case of um, priority key workers, uh, then non-drivables, and then if there's a bit of walking wounded out there and people can worry about the scrape on their car, that's absolutely fine. But, but we didn't mandate that. This is around doing the best thing. The best person to know what the customer wants is when the, when the solution centre picks up the phone to the customer and just has a general chat, which they've been doing brilliantly well, and saying, okay, how are you feeling? Where's your work? What do you do? How can I help? When's best for you? And what I'm also finding is there's a lot of customers, some of this work in progress is customers 
not wanting to come out and, and get their vehicle repaired. It's not just about the capacity of the repair. So there's a lot of customers still saying, well, until the government say it's okay for me to do this. And interestingly enough, just the point I was going to make earlier is obviously next week retail shops are going to be open. I think that is probably as big or as important as the stuff around the schools because I think that might make people think differently about what they can and can't do. Great stuff. Brilliant. Dean, I'll come across to you. So, you know, obviously similar challenges, different scales, different kind of areas that you're looking at. Um, but one of the things, are we, you know, kind of are we at risk of being distracted by all of this? You know, before we went into this huge skills crisis across the industry, you know, training, EV vehicles, ADAS, all these kind of things was really coming to the fore. And, and you know, we seem to be adopting it as an industry gradually. But are we kind of at risk of almost having our attentions diverted away from this too much? You know, is three, four, yeah. five, six months, you know, a long time to be ignoring these things? We, it's, it's easy, it's easy for me to say we. I think, I think the repair and insurance industry are and quite rightly distracted by this but i think there is a real danger that as we recover as louise is talking about about having staff come back as 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 the industry recovers we're going to find if if we not laser focused on it now we're going to find that the skills crisis that we've all been talking about for many many years has just deepened um it's it's absolutely clear some people might might choose not to return to work um and if we don't have enough talent in the pipeline to cope with just the expected churn from the industry i think any any downsizing and specifically i'll mention apprentices you know if we have any downsizing in the apprenticeship which has happened year on year in the last three Three years, the apprentice number have serious. It, it will have serious and significant long-term effects. I mean, nobody can, nobody can really say that that's not the case. And if we if we do take our eye off that ball right now, and as volumes return, and we have this um, commented aging workforce, undoubtedly there are going to be some of them that kind of go. Actually, do you know what? I I've got enough money in the bank. I don't really need to come back to work and I've just experienced 10, 12 weeks off work and actually I quite liked it. So for me, I think the need for upskilling is something that we can't just put on hold. We can't press the pause button because COVID is more important. We have to make sure that the tech boom that is there in the automotive industry can be dealt with by the repair sector um otherwise all the capacity arguments and conversations that are happening will just you know crumble over over a short number of years because more people will leave less people will come in um and repairs are getting more complex we can see repair costs are going up parts the cost of parts is going up. The, t the average time to repair a car is going up. So I think, yeah, there's a major challenge if we don't stay laser focused on the fact that the industry's got a skills crisis um, and we need to continue to try and work together to fix that. 
Mark, can I just ask Dean a question there, following on from that, um, around BS 10125, because I know, Dean, you're on the SVS 20 committee. Um, and one of my frustrations as a body shop owner is that that standard, which was fantastic when it first came out as PAS 125, but it hasn't moved with the times. Um, and as a body shop owner, I'm now finding that my training budget is being taken up sending technicians, skilled technicians who've been in the trade for many, many years, and they're being asked to go and recertify to outdated qualifications when actually I need to be using that training budget to upskill them. Can you give me any sign that we might be on the brink of improving that standard and pushing it forwards and updating it? Uh, yes, I, yes, I can. And excuse me if I try to pick my words carefully here, because I can't speak on behalf of the IMI and I can't speak on behalf of, the, of, of BSI either, but I can speak on behalf of the committee, the SBS 20 committee and some other committees and things that I work on around the industry. So um, first point, and it's probably a bit of an exclusive, and I'll probably get in trouble for saying it, but um, we have now got, um, we've now put a business case through with, with BSI for the revision of BS1 and 125. Um, and I think the last time we spoke, Louise, it was actually at an ARC 360 event when we were actually allowed to get face to face and actually shake hands and talk to each other. Um, and I said at that event, we didn't want to act too soon because if we acted too soon, the, the standard would get out of date too quickly again. And we needed to put some major steps in play to make it, to make it viable, make it work. I'm, I believe those steps are in place. I've worked with, some members of the committee um, in drafting a business case and late last week that business case got a, got got approved through the necessary government governance within BSI so it will be it will be revised it's not a small revision either in the business case um, we clearly outlined that it was a significant revision that was required that needed to look at man, method, machine and materials, all the core cornerstones that built the standard in the first place. With regard to training, one of the aspects that the whole committee is really absolutely determined to resolve is making continuous professional development a recognised method to keep the skills and competence up to date rather than just retesting. So that will be in there. Um, but again, I don't want to talk about specific products because the, the accreditation route is an IMI product. The NVQ route is a City and Gills product. People choose different products, courses for courses. And I don't want to speak to their products, but you should and every business should be looking at its training budget and investing in upskilling their team rather than requalifying consistent, you know, consistent skills that have been um, retained in there for a, a long time. And the whole committee is committed to that. Brilliant. Thank you, Dean. Louise, you stole my next question as well, so well done. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Right, I'm very conscious of time. We've kind of got uh, just under 10 minutes remaining. So, Louise, will, will, will things ever be the same again? No, and to be honest, I hope they're not. Um, you know, running a body shop is a damned hard job. Um, and I'd like to think that we can, through this, emerge stronger. Um, I don't want to say it's going to be the survival of the fittest because that implies that there's going to be ones that don't survive. Um, but yeah, we need to find ways now of making things better, not just for ourselves, but for the insurers um, to pull one of Paul's um, quotes. It's the right repair at the right cost. Um, you know, this isn't going to be an open checkbook that we can go out and be greedy and double our charges because somebody's got to pay for it at the end of the at the end of the line. Um, but we have to use this as a positive turning point um, and emerge stronger. Great. And Paul, coming coming across you, you referenced um, at the outset 2021 to 2023. Again, it's kind of tying in with that question: Will things ever be the same again? You know, are you looking at that window where where things may return to normality? That's more, that's more of our, our current that's more of our current strategy within Aegeus, really, and we're not taking our focus on you know maintaining an excellent service for our customers um, and having a supply chain that uh, can operate and can operate successfully. So that doesn't change. I think we have to keep sharp focus on that. I uh, one hundred percent agree with Louise. Um, I don't think it'll be the same again, but I think that can be a good thing. Um, and, I, and I think we need to learn from some of this stuff. We've worked with, repair, we've, we've lots of repairers over the time who have changed, who have looked at the way in which they make their business more efficient. Uh, and it's those repairers that will come through this and will come through this really, really well. Accidents are still going to happen. Um, to what extent, we don't know. As I said at the outset, I don't think it's got, quite going to be as dramatic as everybody thinks it is. Um, well, that's a personal view. Um, but there's still going to be people uh, that are going to require their cars to be repaired for, for a long time yet. Um, so it's still going to happen. I think our, our approach will be, as it's always been, is we will continue to ask our networks to make decisions that are right for their businesses and try not to mandate stuff that doesn't help them make money and survive. And that's what we've always strived to do. And, and you're absolutely right. There are, we, we, you know, we're insurance companies. We don't have, as, as much as countries, what people say, we don't have bottomless pockets. We have to make sure we remain competitive in order to sell a product to our customer at the right price. So our job is to make sure we protect our indemnity spend as well as our customers. So I guess that the, the thing for me is, you know, I'd, I'd encourage that everybody make sure they look at the, relationship with their network as a one-on-one -on -one relationship rather than mandating something that works for one repairer but doesn't work with the other and we find that whilst that sometimes it's harder to do that because you can't just mandate a labor hour you can't it, it's actually harder to do this but thankfully i've got a uh, a body sh a kind of a supplier manager in rob bud that goes out there and spreads the good word about difference is good uh, and we're just trying to find the best and learning from each other. So I don't think things will be the same again. I do think that we, we, we're still going to have cars to repairs and we're getting back to that point where um, it's a little bit more realistic. But we're going to work with our network to, to do what we can to get through this together. And that's a message that we continually hopefully share. And once again, I encourage anybody that's on, on this call from our network, if there's concerns, then you talk to us and we will talk to you and discuss how we can overcome it together. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Paul. And Dean, you've already kind of alluded to the fact that 
you know, some of what you used to do, you're kind of keen to potentially leave behind and, and do things differently. So, so same from a, from a fashion perspective. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely the same. I think um, specifically with, um, within our training environment, I think we've found new ways of delivering um, training that's really beneficial to um, the industry and we need to try and adapt some of those technological advances in, in training capability to reduce the, reduce the cost burden for body shops. Um, we know the burden. We know, we, we know all the things about, you know, have, you have to pay for the training, then you have to pay to get somebody to go to the training, um, etc. So there are ways we can do that. But for me, the, the, the essence is, we can all focus on the, on the bad things and the negative things that this um, current circumstances have brought about to our plate. And I, I don't blame anybody for, for, for doing that, but I prefer to look at it a different way. And my way of looking at it is that over the last 10 to 12 weeks, we've learned so many different things and different ways to do stuff. Um, my focus over the next 10 to 12 weeks will be able to retain those good things and not go back to the bad things. Great stuff. Brilliant. Um, one last thought, Louise, very, very quickly. Your kind of, uh, your key priority over the next seven days? Uh, it will be deciphering the government guidelines on furlough when they're announced on Friday um, so that we can interpret those quickly. We've been modelling various scenarios as to what might happen with the part-time situation. Um, we've got different staff rotors pinned on the walls all around me, um, trying to work out how we can best get as many staff back as we can. Brilliant. All right, guys, going to bring that to a close. So uh, very conscious of time. People have got uh, lots to do. Some great messages coming in uh, in the chat. So thank you all very, very much for those comments. Huge thank you uh, to yourself, Paul, to you, Louise, and to you, Dean. Uh, Really, really insightful. Great conversation once again. Really appreciate it. Thank you to everybody for tuning in uh, and joining us. Again, remember the Motor Claims Festival, uh, 29th of June for that week. And also this recording, recording of the webinar will be live on the website uh, either later today or first thing tomorrow. And it'll also be reproduced as a podcast. So when you're, I don't know, mowing the lawn or walking around the garden anti-clockwise for a change, you can, uh, you can listen to it all again then. But uh, thanks everybody for joining us. Really appreciate it. Have a fantastic week and we'll see you next Wednesday. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So there we have it, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us on this week's podcast. Huge thank you once again to our corporate partners, ASIS, BMS, CAPS, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise, Nationwide, S&G Response, and of course our partners, the Green Part Specialists, Indasa, and the Innovation Group. Thanks very much for joining us. Have a great week, and we'll catch up with you next week.